You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. Well, good morning, First Baptist Jinx. It is great to be with you. We are uh, at the worst Sunday of the year. Congratulations. <laughs> so, well, we all lose an hour of sleep. You made it. Uh, greetings are sent from our Kenya team. There are boots on the ground right now uh, in Africa, so they made it there safely, and they're heading out uh, into the bush later today. So just keep them in prayer this week, as well as praying for multiple mission teams from different churches that are in the Tulsa area over spring break. Um, I know um, Church Inside Out is one of them that has a lot of people here that are going around. So just be praying for other church families and the work they're doing. Uh, while we are turning our attention to the text. If you weren't here last week, Paul took a turn from talking to the overall church. It was what we experienced as children of God, and he started to address a few specific relationships in the church. The first of those was marriage. And so last week, we started to look at God's plan for marriage as it relates to his glory and the story that our marriages are meant to tell. So wives had some instructions there. This week is for the husbands. Now, Uh, I'll give some of the same disclaimers because I know you might hear it and right away you're like, uh, if you're not married, uh, then you think maybe this isn't for me. So I'll say this, if you are single in this room, I want to remind you that in your singleness, you image the sufficiency of the gospel to the same level that marriage is to image the shape of the gospel. So people should look at marriages and understand the shape of the gospel. They should look at your life and see that the gospel is sufficient. So you have something there to bring. Also, if you walk into today, and your history with marriage is something that maybe you're not proud of. Maybe you don't feel like you've handled it well. Maybe you've made mistakes, things you wish you could go back. And maybe, you're, maybe I'm talking about breakfast. You're like, just right there, like already, not too, not too happy about it. Um, same thing we said last week. We view our past the same way that God does, which is redemptively. So up to this last second you lived, you get to look backwards on everything and know God sees that and redeems it, forgives it, moves you forward. So we see our past redemptively, we see our present ready. So you're here today, starting right now, you can hear this and go, all right, I'm in. I know better, I can do better, I believe better. So that's where we're going to start. I'll also say this, I see some faces in the room that are smaller than our typical faces. All right, I know it's family worship. So I see one popped up right there. Me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. All right, go ahead and wave if you're one of our kiddos that are in here. Wave, kids. I see you. Alex, yeah, I'm seeing you. Waving. There, that's a great little wave from you. Okay, I, there we are. <gasps> Freeze are like, I'm here. All right, so, uh, hey, kids, I see you. Tally, my man, back row Baptist. All right, so um, I, I see you in, in the room, feeling it. Uh, kids, you might think, hey, bro, I'm not married, so I'm just going to check out and color for a little bit. Here's what you need to know. First and foremost, you should know this. I'm going to talk to husbands at some point, which means if you know a husband, it's like if there's a dad around those things, you get to hold him accountable to everything that I'm about to say. So you're like the walking video camera in your home that gets to be like, I know what kind of husband God wants you to be, and that's how you're going to help your dad out. And you all laugh like, well, you... Last service, my kids were sitting front row, all right? We had the same talk, and my six-year-old's notes afterwards said, help dad be better husband. (laughs) That was the only note he took, and he drew a picture of the Bible. And I was like, here we go. So I know what I'm saying. I've weaponized your children against you for the glory of God. Also, kids, I'm also going to tell the greatest story ever. The greatest story, the gospel story of how much God loves you. 
And so you're going to hear this way that God actually, immensely, irrevocably loves you. And he wants you to spend forever with him. So I want you to clue in. And that's actually, church family, where we've got to start today is with that story. Because before we can talk about what husbands can do, we have to look at what Jesus has done. Because the command right off the bat is going to be, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Which means there's a story of his love for the church we have to understand. And that means, wives, husbands, your marriage will only be as successful and as healthy as you understand the redemption story. So the greater you understand the work of God and the love of Christ, the deeper and more effective you can walk in the life that God's called you to live. So we're going to start there, which means all of us are in the same boat right now. This is an all-skate, men, women, singles, children, everybody. We are in the seat of bride of Christ, the love of Christ, his beloved, the one that he came to rescue. So we're going to read the text today, and first we're going to focus on Jesus's love for the church, which is us. So when you see her, or body, or bride, or church, it's, it's referring to us, okay? All right, this is verses 25 through 33. So last week we read three verses, and the middle one said this, verse 23 said, for husband is the head of the church, or I'm sorry, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior. So if, just if you're taking notes, the wives got three verses and one of them was about husbands and the husbands get nine verses. <laughs> just gonna throw that out there. There was a little bit as I saw that that I was like, okay, I get it. Like, you know, God was like, hey, wives, here's what I need you to do. Do you get it? And they're like, yeah. And he's like, husbands, do you get it? And we're like, yeah, but just in case we don't, will you say it again like we didn't get it? He just says it like multiple times, says the same thing we're about to read. So here's this section. Husbands, love your wives. Now here's, here's where Christ loves the church. Hone in. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Then he's quoting Genesis 2.24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, you might have missed it, but there was a story being told here. Verse 23, we said, we, is where Paul let the cat out of the bag, that every marriage is meant to be a picture. It's meant to tell the story of Christ and his church. Now, we, you might have missed it for a couple of reasons. One is because uh, we're Westerners. Most of us aren't familiar with the Jewish marriage process. So, so I'm going to walk us through this real quick so that way we can actually see what's happening in this text. You see, in Hebrew history, the father would select a bride for his son. So the father picks her out, and then the father would send his son to the bride to pay the bride price, the dowry. And so he would offer a price for her. And if that was accepted, then she had the opportunity to choose the husband, to say, I do, to say, I consent. And so that would be presented. He would pay the price and she would say, hey, I see what you've paid. I see what you've done. And I say, yes. And at that point, they are married. 
betrothed. Legally, they belong to each other. Now, they haven't experienced the fullness of their marriage yet, but they belong to one another. And that the husband would then leave her and go back to his to his father's house, and he'd prepare a place for her from his father's house. So they'd build onto the father's home and prepare a place that would be theirs. Now, while he's gone preparing, what do we know? He's already paid for her. She's totally provided for. She's protected. She, she's promised. So her life is totally changed. I belong to a husband. She has no worry, no care, no fret about her future. It's secure. It's taken care of, and I know it. So she's just living this joyful, waiting life to say, well, he's going to come back. And when he does, everything changes. And then he does. At the right time, the husband leaves, and he gathers his bride, and he takes her back to the place that he prepared for her. They consummate the marriage, an act of intimacy that belongs inside of marriage. It's why as Christians, we hold marriage, and we hold that intimacy so highly, because it is meant to be this picture of oneness that belongs there. And then after that, they leave that room, and they go into this space, and everybody celebrates because two people have become one. The plan has worked. There's a new person, a new family, a new life, and they just have this party. That is how this worked. Does that sound familiar to anybody? If you're like, no, don't worry. It will. Because this is the story that we're supposed to see the Bible through. You see, the very end, he quotes Genesis 2.24, which means there was a story being written by God of his great love before the church even existed. From the very beginning, he created marriage to tell the story of Christ and his church before Christ came to his bride. So marriage, let's be very clear, has the highest of purposes. And we hold it that way. And here's a story it tells. Look back at verse 25. As Christ loved the church. When did Christ love the church? Before the church even existed. Which means his love is not based on her. His love is not based on how good she is, how much she deserves to be loved. His love is a covenant, decided, promised love. So husbands, if you're starting to take notes, how do I love my wife? It is actually not based on her deservedness to be loved any more than we deserve to be loved by Christ. It is based on your covenant commitment to the Lord, to the Father that has given her to you. And so you love her. And by the way, um, that commandment of love, your wife, doesn't that seem a little weird? If the wife was told to submit, shouldn't the husband be told to rule or lead? But he's not. There's, there's no harsh tone. There's no lording over that we see in the act of Christ. It is submit, and the response to it is love, agape. This stood apart from all other ancient literature. We see nowhere else that husbands are told to treat their wives at this level of dignity and personhood and value, except in the Christian ethic. And so Christ loved his bride before she even existed. Then he gave himself up for her. Because if love is the subject of the Bible, give is the verb. They go together. Who knows John 3.16, right? Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Some of my kids are just like blasting through it. Forgot your little word. They go, you're his only son. I love it. Love give. That is what love does. It gives. Any idea of I love someone, but I'm going to withhold for myself is not love. It doesn't display the love that God has for us. Love gives. So Christ loved, so he gave. And what did he give? Himself. Not stuff, not things. He gave himself, laid down his life for his bride. 
wasn't taken from him. He willingly laid it down. He gave himself for her. Why would he do that? And by the way, when I say that, I don't want to presume anyone knows. We're talking about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. When it says gave himself up, that's what we mean. Jesus suffered the ultimate of humiliation in humbling himself as a man and then dies on the cross. So do you guys see the picture so far? Before time began, before space in reality was set in motion, existed God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three in one, perfect community, full of love because the Son loved the Father, the Father loved the Son, the Spirit loves the Son. And so there's this God who loves perfectly. And God says, I want to express my love. I want people to experience this love that we have here. And so he sets reality in motion so that way he can can create people in his own image so that way they can experience the great love that God has always had. So he creates the world and he creates his image bearers. I have three image bearers right? Charlotte, Walker, and Judah. Well, they, they walk around, they image their father in the same way God creates them. And he says, I'm, I've given these, the world to my children so they can live there and experience all the love I have for them. And do you know what his children did? They moved out. They said, hey, we don't actually want your love. We actually don't think that what you have is best for us. We don't, we don't want to experience, we want to experience other things besides you. And they rejected God. They reject the father. And when this happened, God set a plan in motion. The plan that he had prepared before he'd even made them. You see, they run away and then God looks at them and it didn't change how much God loves them. It didn't change how much God loves humanity. God says, I'm going to choose for myself from out of humanity, a bride for my son. And he does. He chooses from out of them those who by faith believe that God is loving and God has sent Jesus. He chooses them to respond to him. So he says, son, I have a bride for you. And Jesus Christ, who's always been with God, remember, is now sent to the bride. He humbles himself. He's born, lives perfect, and pursues her. Goes to the bride at the exact right time. And what does he do? He pays the price for her. What's the price for his bride? His life. (laughs) Because what's a bride worth? Our life. It's precisely what Jesus does. She had left him, the fickle pickle she was. She chased all kinds of things. Read the book of Hosea. And Jesus goes, says, I love you enough to die to pay the price for you. And because he's God, he resurrects from the dead, proving that he's God. And he says, I've given everything for you. The debt's been removed. The price has been paid. Do you consent? Do you say, I do? And she does. The bride says, yes, yes, I will belong to you. You've paid for everything. I have everything. I am yours. And then he goes to the father to prepare a place for her. And that's where we find ourselves, isn't it? He goes to the father and under his provision, under his protection, under his promise, we get to live every single day knowing we have a secure future. We have one who's going to bring us home. We have an eternity where we are one with him, provided for to the great celebration that the plan has worked. This is the story of the gospel and we we have that certainty. That's why we don't fear. It's why we don't worry because Jesus has us. So our identity's been changed. It's linked with him irrevocably. And we are his. And so as he goes, what does he do? He sends his spirit to do what? Look back at the text. That he might sanctify her. The word means made, make holy, to set apart. So God has, is sanctifying his bride, setting her apart from all other people. 
So whenever you give your life to Jesus this way, he sends you the Holy Spirit of God and then it starts to change who you are. It says having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Some people think this is about baptism, right? That um, those who give their life to Jesus, they respond to the invitation of the bridegroom. Hey, will you belong to me? That we then are baptized, washed in the water and raised to walk in the newness of life. Some people think that this is uh, the mikvah, the uh, early Jewish uh, bathing premarital ritual. Others think of this as Ezekiel 36. Whenever God says, I'm going to cleanse you from all of your uncleanliness. I'm going to sprinkle on you to make you clean. I'm going to remove your idols from you. And I'm going to take your heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and put my spirit within you and you will be my people and I will be your God. I will cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. It's a picture of the new covenant. I also think of Peter who's getting his feet washed by Jesus. And he says, you shouldn't you wash all of me? And he says, no, you're already clean. I've cleaned you. I'm serving you in a way that you're going to serve others now. And regardless of what Paul intended in that sentence, which we don't know, that's the definitive thing, we actually don't know what imagery he had in his mind when he wrote, here's what we know. It's not about what's happening, it's about how it's happening. Look back at the text. Who is the person that loves Christ? Who is the one that gives Christ? Who's the one that sanctifies Christ? Who's the one that cleanses her? Christ. Who's the one that's doing the washing? Jesus Christ. Who's the one that is the word? Christ. Who is presenting her to himself? Jesus Christ. He's the one that's doing all of it. So this great story where God himself has come down to rescue his bride and go back. He's now providing all of this for her. He didn't say, all right, now that you're committed to me, by the way, bride, you should know I'm Jesus Christ. I'm perfect, and I'm kind of a big deal, so you're going to need to step up your game if you're going to be the trophy wife I deserve. That's not the conversation. No, he says, I'm Jesus Christ. I'm the Son of God, and my bride will be spotless, without wrinkle, without blemish, without any such thing. She will be holy. That is who my bride will be, and I have given all of myself to bring her up into that. It's not, here's the standard of the wife I deserve. It is, I've married you exactly as you are, and I'm going to give everything to me to see you become everything that you could be. That's the way that Christ loves his bride. And that's precisely what he does. And he makes true on his word so he can present her to himself. And all she's had to do is enjoy this relationship of his provision and protection and his leadership to step into everything that God has meant for her to be. And then it says a husband should love their wives as their own body in the same way. So it's saying the way Christ has done this is the equivalent of Christ loving his own body, right? The head doesn't lead the body into harm. The head dresses the body. The head feeds the body because why the head and the body are one. And so Christ has loved the body as his very own body, providing for her and protecting her and caring for her and leading her, only doing what is best for her. If you had to summarize that whole first half, it would be her greatest good. Her greatest good is Christ's greatest joy. Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why would Jesus self-sacrifice? Why would Jesus humble himself? Why would Jesus die for us? Because of this. Because he knew by doing that, by exhausting myself this way, I win her to me and she can finally experience the fullness of God's love like she was meant to. This is what it looks like to be loved by Jesus. Don't, don't miss it. And if you're like, 
okay, like, I, I didn't realize it was that kind of story. I don't blame you. Like, guys, this isn't your average chick flick, okay? Although there could be an argument made that there's some hints of, like, you know, he's really royalty, but then he pretends he's not. Like, he's a little carpenter that hangs out with fishermen, and then you're like, we say yes, and he's like, poof, I'm just kidding, I'm the king, and I've got everything. Hallmark. E. You know, this is, this is not some made-up romantic story. This is our history. This is what has truly been done by the God of the universe on our behalf. And guys, if you've just like ignored this stuff, this is the greatest story ever told. This is your romantic comedy meets action, thriller, mystery, suspense, some supernatural moments that are in there. You've got the incredible hero who is relentless about knowing that she's going to experience his love even though she's just this fickle, run around and forget how good he is. And then there's this enemy that doesn't want it to work out. And that enemy is going to get squashed because he can't triumph with the king. And so he fights for her and if that's not enough, there's some she bears, there's a cameo from a talking donkey. It's got everything. This is our story. We've got, to, we've got to start here. And you have to know your spot in this story or nothing else matters. And I, and I need you to hear that. I need you to hear today. God so loves you. You were actually made. The whole reason you have breath and existence is because you were made to experience the love of God. That is the only reason that you function. And God sent Jesus to make sure it could happen. Have you said yes to him? If you have not, there's nothing else for you today. Say yes. Say yes to the one who paid everything. It's really simple. It looks like in your heart, believing. Most of the time it starts with a prayer because the first act of faith is like, okay, I believe that there's this God who hears me when I pray and I'm telling him that I agree with this story, that I'm separated from you and that you sent Jesus to forgive me and to, to unite me with him and, and to bring me back to you. And so I believe, Jesus, forgive my sins. You have my life. You have me. I'm forgiven. I believe. You start there. And when you believe, you're given that spirit to sanctify you and to wash you and to cleanse you with the word. And it changes everything. You are his now. And one day you will be his forever. Start there. Now, if we've started there, husbands, I want to talk to you. If, we've, if that's your story, there's more for you. If that's your story that you have turned to Jesus and he's made you new and he's given you his spirit and he's got you. Jesus has now said, you know what? As a gift to you, I'm giving you a bride. So you can see what it's like to be on my side of the story. I'm gifting you the opportunity to know what it's like to love as I have loved. And you can only do it if you belong to him first. So treating, treating it like you've done that. If you haven't, uh, when it's time to respond, I want to meet you back there. I want to introduce you to my Jesus. But if you've done that, here's our instructions for Husbands, husbands, love your wives. Don't, don't go past that, remember? This isn't rule your wife. This isn't be authority over your wife. This isn't make your wife subject to you. It is love your wives, agape. That's where you start. We're going to phrase this in questions. Husbands, do you love your wife? It's the first question. Do you love her? And I mean a decision that you have irrevocably decided, I will always have love for her. I'm choosing her. I choose her. 
I love her. And that decision is demonstrated. Romans tells us that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died on the cross. So a decided love is a demonstrated love. You will be able to see it by self-sacrifice. See how that works? So husbands, do you love your wife? Have you decided? If you have, there is a way that Christ has to demonstrate that love by giving yourself for her. It doesn't say giving stuff to her. As much as she may enjoy that, it says giving yourself. You bring all of you to the marriage. You bring the best of you to the marriage. Let me be clear, husbands, your wife gets the best of you, not what's left of you. Why? Because there is only one relationship in your life, husbands, that tells the story of the gospel. It is not your relationship to work, to success, to your retirement, to your kids, to approval from other people, to hobbies. None of those are going to last. One relationship, God said, I'm going to use that to tell of my love to an onlooking world. It is between you and your wife. So why does she get the best of you? Because there's no important, more important story for you to tell. So you give yourself to her that she might be sanctified. Husbands, have you set apart your wife? Sanctified, set apart, different. When the way that Christ loved his church, he said, you are unique from everybody else. Christ has a unique relationship with those of us who have believed. It is distinct from those who do not believe and reject him. Have you set her apart? There should be no other person like your wife. Not only does she get the best of you, she gets from you what nobody else will ever get because she is distinct. God has chosen her to be that way. And so you honor God by setting her apart like that. So one example of this I've mentioned in the last couple of services is uh, my wife, Brianna. She laughs at me whenever I tell her this. She has a hard time believing it. But I tell her, I'm like, you are the epitome of beauty to me, right? Like you are the metric. So here's, for me, like here's Brianna. That is beautiful. Here's everything else. Doesn't even compare, Right? So ladies, if you're wondering, you don't measure up. Sorry to break your hearts. You are not her. And the good news is you don't have to be her. Because if God gifted you a husband, you are this to him. You are his definition of beauty, which is why every day I wake up to her, no matter how she looks, no matter how she acts, no matter what she, she is that distinct set apart standard for me. And it will always be her. So there's nothing else she has to try and be. There's nothing else that culture says she's got to measure up to. None of it. Which means there's nowhere else I would ever need to look. She's distinct, set apart. That's what Christ did for the church. This is my church. Nothing else is going to compare to it. Right? This is my bride. She is the one I'm committed to. She gets the best of me. She gets everything for me. All of me is for all of her good. So in doing so, right, Christ cleanses her by the washing of water with the word. Now, this is helpful to us because it reminds us, husbands, we can't be everything for our wives. We cannot be what Christ is. We cannot save her. We cannot sanctify her the way the Holy Spirit can sanctify her. But listen, husbands, we can participate in that. As the Holy Spirit sanctifies her through his word, husbands, are you speaking truth over your wives? Are you washing her in the word so she knows what is true of her? Are you loving her that way, the way Christ loves his church? Speak what is true. And as you do that, it moves her, grows her, nourishes her into splendor, 
into the definition of all the beauty that God meant for her to be when he made her. That is your pursuit, right? I told you earlier, this is the utmost good, the ultimate good. If God, the ultimate definition, uh, the, the, or the ultimate being, right? The, the most good being could do the most good thing, have the, have the most perfect ethic, which is love, in the most perfect way, which is self-sacrifice. Why does he do that? For our most perfect and most good ultimate goodness that we experience from him. That is the joy of Christ is our goodness. So it is the joy of husbands is their wife's goodness. Do you seek her ultimate good? Now, husbands, I want you to think about it. You have to know what that is to seek it. What do you think is the highest good for your wife? According to this, it would be her holiness. That you are giving yourself and providing everything that you can to create an environment that there is nothing inhibiting her relationship with God. That's what you provide for your wives, husband. You give your life and you use everything at your capacity to make sure that she can become everything that God has meant for her to be. That there's nothing keeping her from becoming that. That's how you provide for her. This isn't about husbands are the sole providers, all right? Uh, j- just to be clear, in scripture, the husbands and wives, both of them are always working, all right? Some of them get paid for it, some don't get paid for it. Sometimes it's in the home, sometimes it's not in the home. We've got women working both places, men working both places. This isn't about that. This is about the responsibility of a husband to provide in a way that there's nothing inhibiting his wife's holiness. And so certainly it means, yes, I'm gonna provide for my family some of those basic things. But more than that, I'm gonna provide an environment for my family, for my wife, that she can be as close as she wants to Jesus. Because I'm not getting in the way of that. I'm not inhibiting. That is her ultimate good is her holiness. Her holiness is my happiness. Her ultimate good is my ultimate joy, which is what we get into the next whenever it says you love her as your own body. Husbands, are you loving your wife as yourself, as your own body? This is great because this is measurable. You clothe yourself, you take care of yourself, you feed yourself, you don't put yourself in harm's way. And if you think for a moment, husbands, there's things that you want. Well, there's some things that I want for me. I want to have this. I want to attain this. I want to feel this. I want to be this. I want whatever. Whatever you want for you, this says that you have the same level of want for her in the same area. You want her to have all the same things that you'd want for you, you want for her. It does not trump. That's the story of Christ that is he denied himself what he deserved to give us what he deserved. Let that sink in. Jesus Christ denied himself what he deserved, taking on what we actually deserve, so we could have what he deserved. Our greatest good was his greatest joy. Husbands, is your wife's greatest good your greatest joy? Have you set your joy that way? And I do want to be clear. I'm not talking about making an idol out of your wife. What I'm saying is when you have Christ in the proper place in your life, you realize that he has prioritized your wife above everything else to tell this gospel story. So we're not idolizing her. We are obeying Christ by loving her the way that Christ loves the church. And that looks like nourishing and cherishing her. That looks like creating an environment that you fight for her. You fight to make sure that there's nothing between her and God and being everything that God intends for her to be. Day after day after day, you pursue the greatest good for her to be experienced in this life and in her godliness by fighting for your wife. And then you fight with her. 
which might sound weird, but in mind and brain is marriage, we talk about this a lot. We don't fight against each other. We fight with each other, against an enemy that wants to divide us. You fight with your wife. You cherish her. You pull her close, which means that she's a priority, and she gets a nearness to you that nobody else gets because you cherish her. You protect her. There's a safe place with you. There's no fear in perfect love. It casts out fear. She knows that you are a safe place that has her best interest in mind. And so you cherish her and you say, I'm gonna fight with you against any enemy that would try to come between us because our marriage matters too much and you matter too much. Husbands, you wanna know where to spend your time, your energy and your resources? Right there. And do you know why? Not just so you can have a happy marriage, but because God wants more for your marriage than you do. What if... And this is what I want to consider as we close. What if God wants more than an average marriage for you? What if God wants a marriage that people look at and they just can't wrap their brains around that type of loving authority and joyful submission where there's this oneness between the two of you that is just, it's, it's uncontested by everything else in your life. What if God wants that? What if God wants your marriage to tell his gospel story in the absolute best of ways? And it's not a what if, it's a he does. That's what he wants for your marriage. What kind of story are we telling? Husbands, it starts with us. Lovers, Christ loves the church. Give yourself to her greatest good. Let that be your greatest joy to the glory of God. Nourish her, cherish her, pray as you provide for her. God, what does she need? That's how you nourish her. Right? It's not providing all the stuff and saying, God, what does she need? What does she need to be close to you? What does she need today? What does she need in this conversation? What does she need in this season? God, what, you tell me what my bride needs and I'm giving all myself to make sure she has that so she can know exactly how loved by you she is. Cherish her. Hold her up to God and then hold her close to you. I'm gonna draw you near and you're gonna be cherished to me above all else, a priority set apart in a distinct and unique way. Now, here's where I want to leave you. I prepared this this week, and I always told you, Bible goes here before it goes here. And as I'm reading this, my first thought was like, Cody, you got to do better, right? And just from a place of support, are there any other husbands that have heard points of today and been like, I think I need to do better? Just show of hands. I like how quickly some of those went up. Thank you. <laughs> that was me. I read it, and I was like, all right, I got to do better. Now, here's, I want to back out of this text for a minute, back to the whole book of Ephesians. Remember what Ephesians taught us, and this falls towards the end. Before doing is being. We have three chapters of Ephesians telling us exactly who we are in Christ, exactly that he's made us a new person, that we don't have to be like the world around us. We can be distinct and set apart and loved children of him, that his spirit can fill us and let us be his. And so we just walk in the new good works that he has for us. So I don't want you to leave here and think I've got to do better because here's what's going to happen. At worst, at worst, you're going to walk out that door and be like, I probably should do better, but I'm not going to. So I'm just going to settle right back down to average. At best, you would walk out of here and do your best to start doing better for your wife. And whenever you don't get the response you want or when life is unfair, you're going to toss all of that. It's going to exhaust you. You're going to go right back where you were or further. If you walk out of here to try and do better, you'll miss it because that's not what Jesus invited you to do. And I didn't want to, I did not want to beat you up today. I wanted to build you up today. So what we do instead is we keep the whole book of Ephesians in mind and we leave here today, husbands, and we say, okay, if I'm going to do better, I'm going to be better. 
I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to be filled by the Spirit of God. I'm going to be a child of God. I'm going to be in the Word. I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to pursue Jesus relentlessly. And I'm here to tell you, husbands, if you do that, the marriage will follow. If you want, if you want to be aware of how to serve your wife the way Christ loves the church, here's an idea. Know Christ and be filled with Christ. And then you're just naturally going to know how to love her like Christ. Because he's leading you. So husbands, that, that's the work. Yes, there's things that we can do better, but don't just try to do it on your own. Prioritize this. Run here. Repent of the things in your life that don't belong. If there are things to repent from, bring them to God today. God, I have not loved my wife like that. I have not been gentle. I have not been kind. Fruit of the Spirit. I've not been loving, joyful. I've not been peaceful. I've not been patient. I've not had self-control. If, if that comes to mind, husbands, don't be beat up. Be free. Repent from it today and chase God and watch your marriage follow. I want us to have time to respond to this today, so I'm going to ask you to stand and bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to give you a couple of challenges. First and foremost, as you all stand, here's the deal. We all got to know our place in the story, right? That's where it starts. You've got to know your place in that story. If you've never said yes to Jesus, say yes today. God has sent his son to you. He's paid the price for you. And all you have to do is say, I believe. And place your hope in him. If that's the decision you need to make, because none of the rest of this life is going to make sense until then, I invite you to come to this back room, these double doors right over here. Pastors are there. And we want to celebrate that decision with you. It's that simple. That's the only move for you. I want you to walk that way. Wives, husbands, singles, kids, any of you, come meet my Jesus. If you've done that, you've stepped into that, would you worship out of the overflow of how incredibly loved you are by God? That maybe today you heard the story again and you were like, I forget how undeserving of his love I am and how deeply he loves me. What a good God. And if you're a husband, would you let that immensity of love for you, that presence of God for you, the filling of the spirit for you, would you let that drive you to the gift of your bride in loving her as Christ loves the church? And commit, God, I will walk closely with you so I can walk with her in the same way that you do. Would you commit to pursuing God and loving your wife as Christ loves his church? God, I pray over this room that we would make the decision you're calling us to. Step towards salvation, step towards a church family, step towards our spouse. God, our marriages were meant to tell your story. Would you help us tell it well? We owe you everything, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you look